Blood Sugar Blues. That's the name of today's Wii transmission, Blood Sugar Blues. And kind of a riff on an old book that came out in the late 70s or 80s called Sugar Blues, written by a fellow named William Dufty, who made a massive transformation after giving up white sugar. But of course, it could be always more than that. It could be things like the flowers and the lipids and the fortified irons. So today we're gonna to be talking about blood sugar, not so much sugar itself, a little bit in the context of carbohydrates. And of course, I'm not anti-carbohydrate, not really a fan of the refined or processed carbohydrates for the most part. But yeah, blood sugar blues. It seems to be that a lot of people these days, because of the modern diet, or diet, and because of stress and things like this, all the assaults on the system from vaccination to, well, everything are causing uh, blood sugar blues or insulin resistance. I wouldn't be surprised if some Zoomers were dealing with insulin resistance because again, we're no longer in the society of in industry. We're now in the futuristic society where the dis-ease is senescence, becoming old when one is still young. So there's many regimes out there that promise to help balance one's blood sugar, help them delete pounds and feel good. Everything from the ketogenic uh, diet to the carnivorous diet to the low carbohydrate diet to the very low fat plant-based diets to intermittent fasting. All of these regimes are designed to quote fix insulin resistance. And of course, you will feel better on these regimes, limited time, of course, it could be days, months, weeks, uh, years, depending on how resilient you are, and then eventually you'll hit a wall. So it's no sense arguing with people who are believers in these regimes because they're still riding the high of it. It's like arguing with someone who's Xdian, someone who believes in globe earth, someone who believes that they can catch a virus and become ill, someone who believes that sex can be changed. I don't uh, waste energy interacting with people who are on that frequency, and I'd recommend that you don't do the same. You don't do the same because our key is limited, a QI, you know, key, deficiency, not key EY. So our key is limited, especially as people get on in their years, and especially as we're so exposed, hyper-exposed to being overstimulated in this, in this age of information and disinformation with the computer and with the, you know, the rapid advent of, of technology, what used to be called cybernetics in the 90s. I kind of like that word a little bit better. But yeah, um, oftentimes these people will be riding high and then they will hit the wall. And when that happens, many things will occur, sugar cravings, mood swings, fatigue, low appetite, insomnia, weight gain, cold hands and feet, impaired memory, anxiety, depression, inability to handle stress. These are all signs that one's diet or lifestyle is not working. And these are quick fixes. Remember in, in the world that we live in that's so fast paced, people are always looking for a quick fix. The diet, the supplement, the pill, the belief, the guru that can help cure them. But what really is the cure is long-term commitment to the self. That's the real cure. So what are some steps one could take if they're dealing with blood sugar blues or insulin resistance? Number one would be finding a meal strategy that works for you. Everyone's going to be different with this. It oftentimes helps to work with a coach or a counselor to make you accountable and to check in. And that could be every three to four hours of eating 
and that could be anything from four to six snacks or meals per day. That's going to be dependent on many factors. I can't give out an exact amount for someone listening to this because of course we're all so different. We're at different ages in our lives. We have different uh, ethnic or racial backgrounds, different sexes, right? So that you're going to have to determine yourself or work with someone to help determine it. But the more you intuit your body and the more you kind of get back to basics and just kind of move away from all the sludge and propaganda that's out there to basically confuse us, the more you'll be able to get an idea of what you want. And over time, the things that you might want to log, like if you're doing a food journal, which I do recommend, I, I do it just pen and paper. You could do it online if you find that to be more supportive, but you want to measure things like your energy levels, your hunger levels, your mood, your libido, your sleep patterns, um, your blood sugar, does it feel high, does it feel low? Uh, are you feeling stressed? And you can even think about investing in some kind of low-tech tools. You can get yourself a blood sugar monitor, you can get yourself, if you wanted a blood pressure cuff, you could get that. Um, you can get yourself a thermometer to tell your pulse. You could, I mean, to tell your temperature. You could get an oximeter to tell your pulse. So there's many little tools. Of course, these are more allopathic tools, but nevertheless, these are tools that may help you. And for many people, the allopathic approach, even if it doesn't work for them, is more familiar for them. So there are certain tools in the context of allopathy. Of course, allopathy itself is other suffering. It's doing surgeries and ritual abuses and medicines to make people suffer for what they're already suffering for but we can still use some of these diagnostic, these light diagnostic tools. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, a colonoscopy or, you know, an MRI or something like that. I'm talking about these basic little tools that you can procure, you know, easily online or, you know, at a, at a pharmacy or something like that. So you're going to want to look for those types of things. So if you eat something one day and you feel like you're in a coma, you just like you can't get out of your chair after you eat it. That's a sign that that's not a good meal for you. Maybe it was too high in, in um, fat. If you're feeling like your brain is fogged or you feel like bloated, those are all cues that something that you ate or maybe the condition in which you ate something. Like oftentimes people will think that they're allergic to a food and that may be true to an extent because their body just doesn't have the energy to break down that food. But that correlation of that food, quote, allergy could be related to a conflict. So for example, maybe someone became allergic to peanut butter because they were eating a peanut butter cookie while they got bit by a dog, something like that. So we have to consider multiple aspects of this. Number two, determine the ratio of carbohydrates to protein to fat that works for you. This is going to be different for everybody as well. And remember, carbs or carbohydrates are not the enemy, as uh, Big Z would like us to believe. Remember, anything that Big Z touts, we have to think that the opposite most likely is true. So if we don't have enough carbohydrates, you can become more stressed. Your metabolism can become more slow, which of course leads to organ lag and of course insulin resistance. So if you're dealing with insulin resistance, you may want to start with things like cooked fruits. Things like that are easy to digest. They also have a little bit of fiber, so it, it sets the blood sugar nice. Things like starchy carbohydrates, unless they're properly prepared, can cause problems for many people. And of course, last time when we talked in the 50s plus nutrition, we were talking about complex carbohydrates uh, post-change for the 50 plus crew. But you have to make sure that those are properly prepared and that you have enough 
you know, enough energy and uh, a balanced amount of blood sugar to be able to eat those things. So the idea of just grabbing like a slice of white bread or wheat toast is typically not great for essentially everybody because, well, you've got the polyunsaturated fats, you've got the iron, you've got the fact that the bread is probably not fermented and done in a traditional way. It's probably loaded with glyphosate. Uh, something to consider that majority of grains out there, if they're not organic, especially like the main crops in this country, which tend to be oats and corn and wheat, if it's not organic, those are brimming with glyphosate and that can cause an inhibition of, of gut activity. It can diminish the amount of uh, bacteria, just, you know, wipe it clean. You do want to have some bacteria. You do not want an overgrowth. Of course, an overgrowth is a sign that something is, is awry. So that's something to definitely consider. If you are going to eat grains, they have to be properly prepared. You want to eat soaked organic oatmeal. You want to eat, you know, a rye sourdough bread. If you're going to do things like white rice, they should be, or the, the white rice should be very well soaked. Um, so it gets softer before you cook it. You can even drain the water and add fresh water if you'd like. And then of course you want to pair that with enough protein and a little bit of, of fat. So you really have to find the, car the curve of carbs that works for you. But I cannot stress enough that if you are eating you know, grains and starches like that, they have to be properly prepared. Otherwise you're just following the Zog industrial you know, food pyramid, my plate diet, which we all know is sludge. Protein, of course, really important because protein balances the blood sugar. And uh, it also, um, if you're eating quality protein, it stimulates stomach acid. This is why so many people who eat a low protein or vegetation heavy diet, when they eat meat for the first time, they cannot digest it because their stomach acid is so low. So if you are deficient in protein, especially historically, as many of us have been, you know, falling into these, these fads, everything from the 90s, low fat is the kind of, the, I guess, one of the fads to the, you know, the full-blown plant-based diets of today. These can cause, of course, if you're deficient in protein, swings in blood sugar, digestive issues, heartburn, gas, bloating, uh, disturbance in gut bacteria. The more insulin resistant you are, the more dysbiosis of gut bacteria you will have. You may have something like SIBO, which looks kind of like a high, a high amount of bloating as opposed to like a lower bloat. That's because the small intestine is overladen with bacteria, because the bacteria are bad, because they're there and they're trying to clean out the problem. Plant, quote, proteins can exacerbate these symptoms, of course, especially if they're ill-prepared. One of the worst trends of the last five to ten years, in my opinion, well, probably two, uh, well, there's so many, but I'll just name two for, for time's sake. Number one would be those bean-based pastas, like a chickpea pasta, a lentil pasta. These are terrible. Uh, they lock in all the anti-nutrients, and it's just like a, a fart factory. Awful. No protein either. Just eat good gluten-free pasta, you know, made with brown rice or made with white rice if you want to have pasta or eat uh, pasta made from Japanese sweet potato or mung bean. That's what I do. I don't miss any of the other pastas. I'm perfectly satisfied with that. And of course, I'm not eating it 24-7. So that's one of the worst trends of the last 10 years. The other one of the worst trends of the last 10 years is the whole advent of uh, nut flours, baking with almond flour and hazelnut flour and a cashew flour, I don't know. This is just a boatload of polyunsaturated fats into the body, incredibly hard to digest. They make these dense, kind of like rock hard uh, pastries. And it's, it's so crazy when you go out to these places like these farm markets, you can't just get like a decent 
old school pastry. It's everything's got the nasty lipids, the fake sugars, the the nasty flours that have either zathin gum, guar gum, or locust bean gum, or it's got the nut flours, or it's got the bean flours. It's just, you can't even get normal food in any regard. Either, either it's like this wacky, like, quote, plant-based food, or it's just poisoned with, like, glyphosate. So when I am talking about the proteins that you want to eat, beef, bison, shrimp, white fish, shrimp, oysters, liver, eggs, milk, cheese, gelatin, collagen, chicken, turkey, lamb, venison, elk, etc. things like that, right? And oftentimes that people who are insulin resistant are deficient in good quality protein. Something to very much consider. Fat. Fat is important. And if um, fat is a nutrient that can directly increase insulin resistance, so these people who do these low carbohydrate diets, and of course when a diet is low in carb, it essentially has to be higher in fat, and a lot of these low carb people are also doing like a very low protein diet. These diets actually will make you insulin resistant. So we do wanna have a little bit of fat. We wanna, of course, as everyone knows, avoid the PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fats, keep the MUFAs, the monounsaturated fats, in a, a moderate amount. You know, things like olive oil and duck fat, they do have benefits. Olive oil, of course, if it's raw, is high in vitamin E. Duck fat is a great source of K2 that's kind of missing from the modern diet. But we really wanna eat more saturated fats, coconut products, um, ghee, butter, the natural occurring fat that's in milk, the naturally occurring fat that's in a piece of meat, right? And we wanna be avoiding the seed oils. And if we are eating nuts or nut butters, we wanna make sure it's not a humongous part of the diet. It's just like a little treat here and there. And if someone's really high in polyunsaturated fats, you may wanna just kind of go lean or delete those for the time being. And the fact, the fact is what happens when eating these polyunsaturated lipids in abundance is that something occurs called lipid peroxidation, which contributes to insulin resistance. It's what they call, quote, age or sugar spots. It's really just from estrogen and iron and polyunsaturated fats and have these unsightly uh, pigmentation on the skin, which is also indicative of the pigmentation being on the organs. And it's, they're not freckles. They're they're um, from, from this process that basically lipid peroxidation where you have these, these spots and they can be removed. It just, it takes time to get these polyunsaturated fats out of the tissues and there's topical things, of course, one can do as well. So a little bit there about what to eat. And then you gotta figure out how to put it together. So maybe having some butternut squash with a piece of white fish. That was something I had for lunch earlier in the week. I went to the fish store and had a piece of sole I uh, baked it up with some goat ghee and some salt. It may sound bland. It wasn't the least bit bland at all. It was very flavorful. And then I had it with a piece of roasted squash on the side. That was a, a good balanced meal for me, right? So things like that. Uh, maybe a piece of fruit with a couple of hard-boiled eggs. Maybe a sweet potato or some soaked white rice with like a shrimp stir fry. You kind of get the idea, right? There's a, it's, it's, it's actually pretty simple once you get the handle of it. And most of your favorite uh, meals and snacks can be kind of modified to fit this paradigm. Number three, we want to add some micronutrients or some uh, minerals. Very, very important. Essentially, everyone who has these insulin resistance issues, as well as diabetes, which of course we don't want it to get to that point because it's a lot harder to retroactively go back and make sure everything is okay. But uh, diabetics are notoriously 
uh, having potassium deficiency. So that's something that you really would want to add. A potassium deficiency has been shown to be connected to a decreased ability to use carbohydrates for energy, elevated blood sugar, low levels of insulin, low stores of carbohydrate uh, glycogen, lower bone density, and lean muscle mass, all of things which are common with insulin resistance. And it's not that carbohydrates are the problem, it's the wrong carbohydrates, and it's the fact that the person's body cannot digest them. So it's not the food, it's, it's, it's the situation within the person or the organism. So potassium is oftentimes not so easy to get from the diet, so a supplement is nice, but you can also get some potassium from dairy foods, fruits, a little bit from honey, uh, potatoes and sweet potatoes, things like that, squashes, red meat has a little bit, uh, cod, those are sources of, of potassium, goat whey. Sodium, of course, is really important. We've always been told via Big Z and allopathy that, you know, salt is terrible for you. I mean, most of the salt they sell in the store, like the Morton salt, has all these types of fillers and anti-caking agents. I wouldn't go near that. I use sea salt. And something to uh, point out, you do not want to use the Himalayan sea salt, which is really popular in some of these kind of like low-carb paleo ancestral circles. It's pink because that's iron. It's rust. So you want to get a white salt. I like things like uh, Meldon, that's a really good salt. I like the Eden sea salt that comes from Brittany, France. So those are some ideas there. When you don't eat enough salt, it can actually increase your blood pressure and raise your adrenaline. Adrenaline, of course, is a stress hormone responsible for disrupting the actions of insulin and increasing the production of glucose from the liver, raising both insulin resistance and blood sugar. There is a reason that salt tastes good. And even in pregnancy, when women are thought to be having something called preeclampsia, it's essentially a sodium deficiency and I believe a protein deficiency as well. But of course, you know, Zog just sees you as high risk and then, you know, does all the ritual interventions from there. So sodium, super important, potassium, magnesium. Magnesium plays a vital role in insulin secretion and preventing insulin resistance and excessive release of carbohydrates from the liver. It also assists in retaining calcium and vitamin D. Both of those nutrients, calcium and vitamin D, are crucial to insulin sensitivity when in balance. So that's really important to have a combination of those three things, sodium, potassium, magnesium. Magnesium can be found in many foods. In the Western diet, the two most common foods it's found in are chocolate and coffee, and those foods, of course, in excess are, are not great. You could also get it from leafy green uh, vegetables. You could also get it from magnesium glycinate supplements, magnesium chloride spray, and uh, Epsom salt baths. About 400 migs per a day, depending on your current health state. Something else is B vitamins, super important, especially if you've been under stress. Uh, some B vitamins to be um, on the lookout for, thiamine B1, riboflavin B2, niacin B3, panothenic acid B5, biotin B7. These are all crucial for improving blood sugar control because they play key roles in processing carbohydrates. And the better that your body can use carbohydrates, the better your blood sugar will be. Think of the B vitamins are like little workers on an assembly line that are building a car. So there are supplements one can take, of course, but you want to get it mainly from food. Fruits, liver, root vegetation, seafood, eggs, dairy, uh, ruminant meat are all sources of B vitamins. And if you do take a supplement, it can be good sometimes to take a little bit of it to help you get out of like a, a stress hole. And 
one I didn't mention is, is B6. B6 is also important. It also helps raise dopamine and progesterone, but too much B6 can actually cause nerve damage. So if you're looking at a supplement and the B6 levels are like off the charts, be leery of that because too much of that can actually cause nerve damage. Something else that's really important is iron overload. We've done a lot of discussion about this, doing whole shows such as the Graphene Goyam show. So if, you, if you're new to this or if you're not remembering that show or you forgot about that show, go, go back in the archive and listen to Graphene Goyam's talking about iron overload in that episode as well as uh, Oyed AI and the vaccination and 5G and you know, all, the, all the stuff going on. But iron overload contributes um, greatly to insulin resistance. And of course, they've been poisoning the food supply with heavy metals post WW2, and then they boosted the poison back in, I think, the mid 60s. And uh, there's no, no wonder so many people are dealing with these blood sugar issues because of this iron overload. Excess iron has been shown to damage the insulin secreting beta cells, reducing insulin secretion, increasing insulin resistance, and causing glycation of proteins, also initiating stress, promoting fatty liver disease, and contributing to a metabolism representative of those with diabetes and increased carb production from the liver. And when someone has a low, carbohyd low carbohydrate or just like a fucked up diet, I'm just using that as an example, they do have more of this diabetic metabolism. If it gets so low, they actually end up with a cancer metabolism. So a lot of these people who are doing the quote, you know, health stuff out there, they literally have the metabolism of someone who has cancer. And of course, cancer is a state of extreme malnutrition, emotional conflicts, etc. So yeah, the iron is... Um, is an issue and it becomes more of an issue because people aren't eating the foods that have the copper that can kind of combat or kind of neutralize the effects of iron. They're also not eating a lot of foods with vitamin C. So the foods with, with copper could be things like uh, oysters, bee pollen, liver, shellfish, etc. Vitamin C foods, you know, fresh fruit, some of the uh, vegetables like peppers and things like that are also high in C. Uh, some of the green vegetation is also high in C. Spleen is actually a good source of uh, vitamin C, as is sheep milk, some lesser known ones right there. Calcium can also kind of buffer or combat the effects of iron. Uh, lactoferrin, of course, which is an ingredient in milk. So milk, of course, has calcium and lactoferrin, as well as vitamin E rich foods, things like raw meat, uh, what else? Uh, raw olive oil. You can even do something called tocos, which is like a rice bran, soluble rice bran particles. That's high in uh, vitamin E. I kind of don't really recommend too many of the vitamin E supplements because they seem to be too, too stimulating and a lot of them have uh, toxic ingredients like hexane. So when you do boost the copper, it actually helps with the iron to leave the tissues preventing an iron overload in the tissues and deficiency throughout the body. When people are told they have, quote, anemia, right? Iron deficiency, anemia. It's really because the iron's in the wrong part of the body. And of course, the iron I'm talking about is the synthetic iron. I'm not talking about heme iron from, from red meat. But then, of course, you don't want too much of that either. 
And of course, speaking from the TCM perspective or the macrobiotic perspective, if someone's already a really young individual, they might not need as much ruminant or red meat as someone who's maybe very yin, very deficient, very thin, very nervous, right? So for someone like me, who's a pretty young person in general, you know, born in May, have a pretty young constitution, too much red meat is, is not the greatest thing for me. I, I tend to fare better and I tend to like the taste better for the most part of, of things like fish and, and chicken. Oh, and something too that's really important that I posted yesterday on the cooking channel and the Vedic channel, but I'm gonna mention it here too. The olives that come in a can in the store, uh, like the black olives, quote black, or maybe triple parentheses is more, more appropriate right here. The brand sometimes is Pearl or, or maybe Cento if it's the Italian brand. These olives are not black. These olives are green and they are dyed black with iron filings. So that's a hidden source of iron in the body for a lot of people. And also keep in mind that it's a canned food. We don't want to really eat a lot of canned foods. Canned foods are emergency foods. They're not everyday foods because we're going to be increasing our heavy metal load if we eat a lot of canned foods, especially if we're deficient in a lot of these minerals. So the foods again to address iron overload, liver, dairy, raw milk, even coffee to an extent, but of course that has to be taken in the context of, of eating enough food, eating enough fuel, otherwise it's going to do you damage. Fruits, uh, bee pollen, oysters, mushrooms, a little bit of cocoa, sweet potatoes, etc. And of course, some people recommend the donation of blood. That's of course up to you if you want to do that, if you want to interact with the, uh, the system. People who have done that to shed the excess iron actually have shown to improve their insulin sensitivity. But there are other ways to do that. Of course, you know, it's, it's your health, it's up to you. And also to take responsibility for the fact that you're the one that got yourself in this place in the first place. Maybe you were led astray by Big Z. Hey, we all were, I was too. But when you really wanna heal, the best thing to do besides being proactive and finding out the right information is to take responsibility because then you say, okay, I'm the author of my story. I can change it. I'm not relying on some guru or savior. So it's actually very freeing. Something else to consider is movement throughout the day, not just formal movement, but what is called NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's just stuff that you would normally do. Um, yard work, fidgeting, chores, standing, cleaning, playing an instrument, maybe cooking, organizing. All of this is actually exercise as well, and that can improve insulin sensitivity, help with weight loss, help with blood pressure and waist circumference. So a lot of things one can do, uh, adding in walks, and making sure that the exercise that you're doing is not super stressful. Like people who do a lot of cardiovascular, like people who do like the endurance running, that's hella stressful on the body. So your, your activities, whether it's the neat activities or more formal, make sure it's enjoyable. Enjoy what you're doing. Otherwise, why are you doing it, right? And finally, number five, one of the most important things, identify your stressors, or if we're speaking in GNM terms, your emotional conflicts, right? Different for every person. It could be overwork, overexercise, sleep deprivation, financial um, issues, nutrient deficiencies, inflammation, iron overload, a lack of meaningful or fun activities. It could be some intense conflict, a, a childhood trauma wound. It could be different for everybody. It could be all of these things you're dealing with, right? And remember that when you are stressed out, uh, 
it requires an increased amount of energy. And in order to get this energy, stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline break down muscle and stored carbohydrates, but also lead to insulin resistance and elevated sugar. Stress is also a diuretic. So when you're stressed, you'll be pissing all day, running to the john, pissing all the time, and then you'll be you know, eliminating potassium, sodium, and magnesium. So we can see how this kind of uh, cascade works. And what are some signs that you're overly stressed? Digestive issue, reacting strongly to minor stressors, being on edge, feeling wired and tired, having poor tolerance for carbohydrates, and experiencing wide mood strength mood swings. When we look at addressing insulin resistance at the end of the day, it's not the balanced diet and the carbohydrates, but it's the stressed body we're putting the carbohydrates into. So it's not the food, it's me or you, right? So a little bit there about what we can do just to kind of um, recalibrate what we talked about on this, this uh, little transmission. Find a meal strategy that works for you. Determine your ratio of carbohydrates, protein, and lipids. Uh, balancing the micronutrients, potassium, magnesium, sodium, moving throughout the day and identifying your stressors. And I'll say this finally to close out the clip, adding in things like breathing, exercising, having a gratitude journal as well as a food journal like I mentioned earlier, long walks to sort out your thoughts like I do on these walks after I record these little transmissions, and getting enough rest is key. So these are all things that, this doesn't take a lot of money, right? Breathing exercise, gratitude journal, long walk, rest. None of this costs money. It's the motivation. That's what we need oftentimes to be motivated enough to care about ourselves. And that's something that I think comes with responsibility and, and deep love and appreciation of oneself. So I think I'll leave it at that for this clip or this little wee transmission, Blood Sugar Blues. I hope you're having an amazing Sunday wherever you are in this big white world. And uh, we'll be connecting again soon on the next, uh, the next transmission. Okay, everyone. Satnam.